I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to Once Upon a Gene, and I'm your host, Effie Parks. Once a month, I release this extra special episode in a series I call A Rare Collection. It features three people from the rare disease community, each telling a true story with the same theme. I'm super excited to present the sixth episode in the new storytelling series. I've always been moved by storytelling, and I believe there is so much power in them for both the listener and the storyteller. I'm the luckiest podcaster ever in that this is what I get to do for fun, passion, and purpose. Today's show is featuring Big Brothers. The theme for the three stories today you're about to hear is What I Know For Sure. The storytellers have the utmost freedom to be creative and take the theme wherever their heart desires. Here is a story from Noah Seidman, big brother to Ben, who had San Filippo syndrome. What I know for sure, it turns out, might not be a whole lot. And perhaps I've set myself up for failure by turning this prompt into a question to be answered rather than something to spark discussion, as I'm sure Effie intended. But I did. And now, the possibility of locating something absolute that I can pull from my experiences and share with you all is firmly lodged in my mind. And so I've spent much of this week churning through my brain in the idle moments between emails, deriving lessons during that meditative emptiness which comes when mowing the lawn, and just generally obsessing over this idea of surety. Well, I would love to blame this podcast for making me just a little more crazy than usual. This is actually something that I have been thinking about for a long time. My guess is that a lot of us, older brothers that is, would really like to find something we can point to as true, meaningful, and enduring. Because we know how difficult uncertainty is, how easily we are caught up in this cycle of assessing and adapting as our siblings moved through the phases of their disorders without a moment to rest and consolidate, without a chance to turn last week's lessons into next week's strength. We know how unforgiving uncertainty is. And when, as it did for me, that cycle stops and we are left with no new input, suddenly the desire to find something axiomatic is almost inescapable. I want to etch my memories of my brother in stone, unchanging, and from them make some perfect lesson or perspective or insight so as to further cement his legacy in my life. I want to say, Ben taught me this, and it is true, and to never doubt it. I want to celebrate him, to show myself and the world that despite his disorder, he gave us, gave me, something internal. And all of that is true, 
And it's even a pretty good reason for my compulsion to crystallize my brother's life into a few truisms just small enough and just perfect enough that I can turn them over and over in my mind endlessly. But the bigger truth looming behind all of that wisdom that I've worked so hard to extract is that I'm afraid. I'm afraid of losing my memories of my brother as I grow older and our shared lives grow more distant. I'm afraid of letting his importance to me diminish in light of all of the new experiences that I get to have in his absence. I'm afraid that if I can't find that perfect thing, if I can't name it and define it, can't speak it into being for the rest of the world to recognize as truth, that I have somehow failed him. And the worst part of this particular coping mechanism of mine is that it works pretty well. My brother was a brilliant soul. He challenged and supported those around him with a precision and joy that I have never seen matched. His life meant growth and understanding and love for everyone he knew. And so when I stand up and share a lesson from his life, my friends and family nod along knowingly. Being with Ben could well have led to many, many certainties. But somehow, for all of that success, for all of the things Ben has taught me, and how well those lessons have served me. And as much as my memory of him remains fixed in my mind, something about this still rings hollow. I think that in my quest for certainty, I've trimmed away the pieces of my brother that didn't best reflect him or me. I've molded the experiences we shared to fit one idea. And the truth is no one idea, however good, could capture my brother. I've played into my own fears, and in doing so, left little inert pieces of insight scattered throughout my recollection of Ben, at the cost of letting them change and grow with me, of seeing his life from my own changing perspective. And perhaps to do so invites the possibility of loss, possibility for change in my own memory of my brother. But I'm also coming to understand that these are important risks to take, knowing that it's hard to let go of the memories and the lessons that I've polished to perfection and being terrified to accept the possibility that I'll forget things, that my brother's meaning to me might change over time. It still seems like this might be the way forward. My name is Noah Seidman. My brother, Ben, had a rare genetic disorder called Sanfilippo syndrome, an enzyme deficiency. He passed away seven years ago. I know for sure that I love my brother. And I know that I'm slowly figuring out how to be okay with not knowing a lot else for sure. Here's a story from Grayson Skibbington, big brother to Darby, who has Pallister Killian syndrome. What I know for sure. My sister Darby is two years younger than me. I am 17. Her diagnosis of Pallister Killian syndrome is all I have ever known. If you are curious about what that means for her, then let me share. She has very low tone, so she is in a wheelchair full time. She is also deaf and blind, although she can see shadows and large shapes, we think. She is immunocompromised and is nonverbal. For the first two to three years of my life, I was in the hospital a lot, and I wasn't sick or injured. I was a brother of a medically complex sister. I don't remember those days, of course, but I have a scrapbook full of stickers from hospital staff and pictures of me licking popsicles. What I knew for sure back then was probably patience equals popsicles. 
Fast forward a few years, and I'm in preschool and kindergarten. I'm not spending as much time in the hospital, but I am being dropped off at friends' houses in the middle of the night. I know that Darby is sick, and mum and dad look worried. I know for sure that people are going to take care of me, even when things are scary. I'm likely going to have a fully packed lunch for the rest of the week, and dinners will magically appear on our doorstep. Mum says this is called community. I called it magic. I don't remember life being weird when I was this age. My sister couldn't walk or talk, but we did find ways to connect. We had our own version of hide and seek. Mum used to hide Darby in the house, and I would run around the house looking for her. She was always in the funniest places, like the floor of a closet, or on the top of blankets and pillows. She never played with Lego or any of my Hot Wheels cars, and she never took my toys like they did in school. I thought I had a pretty easygoing sister. When I was invited to a playdate at age five, I met my friend's little sister. At first, things were good, but as the playdate went on, they started yelling at each other and throwing things, and I had to cover my ears. When I got home, I told my parents about how mean they were towards each other. My parents just smiled. That day, I learned that my sister was definitely on the nicer end of little sisters. When I crashed my snow sled a few days later at school, I remember seeing my sister in the hallway with her aide. I asked if I could speak to Darby. I told my sister about the crash and showed her my fat lip. She listened. My sister can't do a lot of regular kid stuff, but she's an excellent listener. Time warp to middle school slash early high school, and Darby is coming up on surgery number 10. There has been lots of planning as it involves going to another city, and my parents will be gone for two to three weeks. I know that it is a big one, a brand new spine. I know that she will be okay, so I start to worry about my parents. I'm taken out for pizza. My parents ask if I have any questions or worries. I see my dad cry for the first time in a long time. We have a good family talk, and I know for sure that we will get through this. After all, Darby has been teaching me how to be resilient. Fast forward to now, at 17. I see things a bit more clearly. I see that through the years, I adapted to our family life by helping the best way I could. I stayed out of trouble, usually. I did as I was asked, and I was positive and cheerful when the house needed it. Being a sibling of rare disease can be complicated and messy. It can also be bits of easy and lots of wonderful. I don't take much for granted. I appreciate a helping hand and I will always be grateful for popsicles. Here's a story from Nash Hawkins, who's big brother to Charlotte and Cooper, who have FAM 177A1. I don't know anyone who has a life like mine. Other homes don't have a revolving door of therapists. Other families go to restaurants and movies. We don't, and this can be sad. However, my friends don't have a sister like mine, who finds wonder in the mundane and whose belly laughs fills the room with joy, or a nonverbal brother who speaks volumes with his hugs and soul-piercing stares. Life with my siblings, Sherilyn Cooper, who are disabled due to a rare disease, can be complicated and chaotic. Although joyful and loving, they frustrate easily, have major meltdowns, and need help with almost everything. 
You'd think that I'd go elsewhere to socialize or be hesitant to have friends over, but that isn't the case. My friends embrace and love the realness of our lives. When my peers watch me interact with my siblings in natural and playful ways, they become more comfortable and move towards Cheryl and Cooper without fear and a deeper appreciation for their differences. They recognize that my siblings are hilarious, loving, and in many ways just like them. Life with my unique family has taught me great things. I'm adaptable and resilient. Change, challenge, and chaos do not faze me. I'm patient and empathetic. Because of my siblings, I recognize that disability is a diversity that colors our world in beautiful ways. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.